0: everybody thank you so much for for uh, joining us um, and welcome to the uh, to our panel about the uh, YDI matters um, for the video game characters uh, my name is Yohana Tanasa I'm the global head of marketing and innovation for the non-alcoholic beverage business unit within ABI um, I am Leading uh, the marketing part for, as I mentioned, the Vanalk Beverage business unit. So that kind of explains. I guess the question is, why am I moderating a panel on uh, gaming? Um, it's mainly because within our brands, um, we have a lot of gaming-focused um, campaigns and initiatives to really drive and push forward DNI um, within this space. So. Um, Why is this, before we start and go into the introduction of the panelists which is a great great bunch of people here, um, why is this discussion important and why we wanted to have this panel? Um, There are a couple of fates that the diverse characters in video games have. Either hypersexualization or violent crimes or offensive stereotyping and that is if they ever are included in the game. So if we think about, if you think about any any game you've played, I'm sure you've seen that uh, representation of diverse characters is not really something that most games um, can be proud of. And we've seen um, this is this is something that you can see within a game, but also there is a lot of research around um, this space. So there are a couple of studies done um, by Diamond Lobby, for example, um, that specifically mentions that the games between 2017 and 2021, around um, only 10% of the female characters are of non-white ethnicities. Um, Two out of three characters are uh, male, and um, or white, and the leading characters within the game are mainly uh, male. There are other um, researches done by the Gina Davis Institute um, of Gender in Media, Oak Foundation, and Promundo, and they're mentioning that um, the female characters are 10 times more likely to be um, represented in revealing clothes. So, um, because of this, why is this, you know, this can definitely have a huge impact on the gaming community, the younger generation. There are three billion gamers out there. Like, just to put things into perspective, three billion gamers, Um, and, you know, some of them are younger um, generation, and as they're trying to find their identities and what they want to become, this can really have an impact um, on how they think um, of themselves. So that's why we pulled together this awesome um, panel. So I'm gonna start um, with a brief intro for each of them, um, but for sure I'm not gonna do justice to, uh, to introducing them, so um, if they wanna add something more as they're going to the questions, um, please do. So I'll start with, the, with the Zina. Yeah. She's the head of global digital marketing community at 2K. She's a very seasoned digital uh, marketer, executive. Um, Her roots are also in music, entertainment, and broadcast journalism. And she's leading the social creator and influencer marketing community at 2K. Um, She's working with a lot of diverse folks within the gaming community. Um, And she's driving this diversity discussion within the community and within um, 2K. She's also leading the Next Makers program, um, which is a program within uh, 2K that is um, trying to bring exclusive opportunities, um, developing uh, capabilities and learning opportunities for the gaming developers.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Hot mic, by the way. (laughs) Um, Above and beyond that too, DEI is really important to me. Um, Inclusivity is really important to me. If you saw anything from the Oscars yesterday, I mean, for Asian Americans, what up? We had a really, really good night. Um, Record-breaking evening. Michelle Yo is our queen. Um, Representation really matters. I also co-founded... a Asian American creative organization that's a nonprofit as well, called Asian American Collective, um, that works to, to mentor and build community for young Asian American creatives, too. So it's not just something I do for work, it's something that's actually existentially really important to me, and to be a good ally to other communities and make sure representation is reflected in everything that we do for our gamers, because that is our consumer and our community.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Um, Moving on to Angelica, Angelica Alvarado. uh, She's the vice president of uh, BeyondCore within AB InBev in uh, Bavaria in Colombia. Um, She's leading, through her work, she's leading a lot of our uh, very big non-alcoholic beverage brands in Colombia. Um, She um, has started um, in uh, the food industry, then dairy, then moved on to soft drinks and beer. She's also uh, started and created and... um, uh, developed a creative in-house studio that um, ABI has named DraftLine and ended up um, taking the studio in the top 10 studios in Colombia. And um, her connection with gaming, at least from a, a professional perspective, is that um, we're driving, as I mentioned, on different non-alcoholic brands, a lot of partnerships with, our, um, with publishers, with gaming developers, um, and with our brands to... Um, push this um, agenda of DNI from an outsider perspective, um, not from a gaming site. So welcome. Thank you. You know me pretty well. So I don't <laughs> want to
2: add anything.
0: Awesome. And last, but definitely not least, we have uh, Jess Tompkins. She's a scholar, um, also um, a user experience, experience um, researcher. She has a PhD in media. Um, Arts and Science from Indiana University. Um, in her current role, she's the UX um, researcher, research director of Skeleton Key, which is a studio part of the Wizards of the Coast uh, digital uh, games portfolio. She's done extensive research in this space, which is, I always find it fascinating of, of how we, you know, there are a couple of people there who have spent uh, their time to do research within this space, which is a very interesting one, um, of how you can um, combine the um, uh, video games, the diverse representation, and the social psychological impact of um, of, the, of this potential, you know, sexual representation or harmful depiction of the characters. Um, she is also driving um, insights and research and helping. Um, game developers in her role to uh, make informed decisions of how they develop the characters in the game. Hi, Jess.
3: Hi. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, just to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, I feel that some of my unique contributions come from the fact that I have studied games academically, but also have been in the industry for five years. So really excited to kind of talk from both perspectives on this panel.
0: Awesome. So I'd like to start um, with one question for um, all of you, just to understand a bit more your relationship with gaming. Um, I understand also from a professional perspective, but some of you also have some relationship to gaming from a personal perspective, depending how you all started um, uh, your careers. So uh, maybe I'll start with you, Zina.
1: Sure. For me on a personal level, I loved Super Nintendo growing up, that that shows my age a bit. Um, I come from a different time where games weren't as complex, right? Um, But I've always loved the storytelling aspect of it and I have a pretty deep past in music marketing. Uh, I was working in hip hop for a very long time and got exposed actually to NBA 2K uh, at first through that avenue. we are we are digital marketers and looking to actually find different avenues for promotion for our artists. We started to, to really look at video gaming as a really great way to authentically reach those consumers, which were doing both, right? They were listening to music and they were playing those games um, and worked with a lot of artists like Nipsey Hussle um, that were on those soundtracks. So. My love of gaming actually got peaked even more during the pandemic because when I was at the North Face, we started to really work on outfitting within games. Like we had worked with a few different companies to get the North Face into those games and just really loved how interesting and multifaceted the actual business was. Um, So when the opportunity to come work at 2K came up, I actually grabbed it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and seized it because it was just such an interesting kind of convergence of entertainment, tech, sports specifically at what we do at 2K, and being able to kind of like converge those things together, bring diversity, bring kind of a different lens and point of view, um, it's just super exciting. So gaming has always been intriguing to me. It's no surprise that gaming is not only the future, it's now, Um, and I can't wait to see like how it continues to mature and how the gamification of everything that we're doing as human beings continues to maturate.
0: Great, thank you. Angie, how about you? My
2: experience with gaming started when I was playing Nintendo, actually.
3: (laughs) Then I will
2: say that I moved to Angry Birds, probably. Uh, So as you know, I'm not a huge gamer, but since 2022, I've been leading uh, this non-alcoholic category in Colombia, and there we have a big brand that's called Pony Malta. And this brand, uh, which is all about energy and about nutrition, has as, a, as the main uh, audience teenagers. And then when we talk about teens, we talk about their main passion point, which is gaming. So this is how I related professionally with gaming. Uh, I've been like, amazed on how good and how this industry is, is growing, and how people can now uh, socialize and enjoy and belong to communities just because they are part of, a, of this gaming. Also, we saw this of the shadows of the industry, and this is something that we want to talk today about.
0: Awesome. And uh, Jess, I know you've, it, it's a very interesting choice of studying this, so it would be very interesting to see how you all started, how you started on this journey.
3: Yeah, so there's definitely a bit of a pattern. I also grew up with a Nintendo in the home, and that was definitely the gateway. And in terms of, uh, you know, providing that motivation to study games academically, I definitely have always considered myself a, a geek and definitely a fangirl. Um, grew up as a teenager getting really immersed in games and loving a lot of game characters and those rich narratives provided in those worlds. Um, you know, that's where I kind of came into my own is like at that age identifying like the games that I really gravitated towards, not just the games that like my dad was buying, right? On the Nintendo. Um, so yeah, I think you, were, you also spoke about community and games for me growing up were always a bit of like finding community and like-minded, like essentially other, you know, maybe people who are a little weird or a little different, like into that nerdy shit, right? <laughs> um, so that's what it was for me, it was just community and finding like-minded people to nerd out with. And so that provided the, the motivation and passion to study games academically. Um, which now has led to a really fulfilling career in game development as a user experience researcher. Um, So even though I I do work in the industry and my research speaks to making the product better for people, um, even my academic research, like it's, you know, academics, we tend to be a little more like critical and, and biting in nature, but it comes from a place of care and wanting to see the industry improve for sure.
0: Awesome. And um, I'm gonna follow up with a question for you, Jess. So obviously you've done so much research uh, in the past few years uh, in this space. Um, let's start a bit with, with some history. How have the video characters been portrayed historically? What have you seen based on the research
3: you've done? Yeah, great starting question. So historically, the research is pretty, um, pretty. I guess, um, I don't, I don't wanna say compelling or convincing, but it's just, it's very clear that historically that uh, when we look at what the typical game character looks like, we do see an overrepresentation of male characters, um, traditionally white male characters, primarily in protagonist roles, right? So when I say protagonist, that is typically the character that the narrative is centered around, that the player is embodying for the duration of the experience during gameplay. So when you look at, you know, over time, like who is cast in that role, pretty, especially humanoid roles, right? Like humanoid or human, typically it's a guy and typically, you know, he's like maybe 30, 40 something brunette, pale skin, pretty markedly Caucasian in nature. And just to be clear, like there's nothing wrong with like characters or individuals being like white and male, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. But when you see that over and over again, it sends, you know, essentially like a message of like, you know, who is valued in those types of narratives. Um, And I guess I should also clarify, like when I'm talking about historically over time, I am kind of generalizing a bit to the triple A, like commercial industry. Mm -hmm. AAA meaning like big budget, you know, big publishers like Microsoft and Electronic Arts and, you know, all the big publishers that you can think of like Activision and Blizzard and so on and so forth. Um, So indie games are a space where we do see a bit more innovation, and even the AAA industry is certainly innovating a lot as well, Um, but there's a lot of room for progress, right? even when um, characters, are, like for example, there's certain genres where ethnic minorities are like overrepresented, but that tends to be sports games, and that's about it, right? So there's there's room for improvement, and I'm not trying to throw anyone. We were to, just talking about this. I'm so. not trying to <laughs> throw anyone under the bus by any means, but it's just, you know, it's just, um, you know, genre conventions have um, a way of kind of shaping like who's represented and in, in what games, and and um, where we see, you know, more diverse portrayals, right? Um, but when we look at like A action adventure, first person shooter type games, we tend to see, um, you know, overrepresentation of male characters. When we do see women, they tend to be in more secondary roles. Secondary meaning that they're maybe p- optional to play as, or maybe they're included in a set of downloadable content, or they're in a cast, or, like, I guess, roster of characters, like when you play a fighting game, or a MOBA, or something like Overwatch or Apex, where you have a hero shooter and you have a roster of characters to choose from. So, um, that's kind of, like, I guess, the, the landscape um, in terms of who we see, where we see them, uh, women characters tend to be more sexualized as well. This shouldn't be like earth-shattering, groundbreaking <laughs> information by any means, right? We've all, most of us, have probably seen Anita Sarkeesian's videos on tropes versus women in video games, which is some really seminal work bringing to bringing those tropes and um, the overabundance of sexualization and sexist stereotypes in games. You know, really bringing that to the forefront, making that a conversation that we like panels like this can now happen and um, you know we can openly discuss it and recognize like yeah it's a thing. Um, So and I guess also to kind of piggyback off of sexualization I did want to clarify like there's nothing wrong either with like having sexy or attractive characters um, but when it becomes objectification that's when it becomes problematic and by objectification that is when we reduce a character or person basically to the status of mere object. And when that happens, usually there's a lot of attention given to the character's physical appearance to the point where their other characteristics or traits can be like severely overlooked. Um, and in video games where maybe a woman, a woman character is secondary to the male character, then they're less likely to maybe have those opportunities for their personality to be demonstrated. And if there's a lot of attention given to the body, a lot of attention given to animations that draw attention to the body um, or the way um, even the way she fights, right? Like a lot of games are contingent upon combat and violence. And sometimes the anim- even the combat animations bring a lot of un- you know, potentially undue attention to the body and, and body parts. Um, so when we see that objectification happening, and if that's the predominant type of portrayal we see, then, you know, it, it, again, it kind of speaks to what's being valued and, and what is kind of, you know, being emphasized for certain groups of people um, relative to others and others' char- characters who are in more prominent roles. Um, so I think that was all that I wanted, I also, uh, wanted to say, but also, um, a lot of characters thin, able-bodied, right? You know, there's lots of room for improvement. There's lots of room for more body diversity. There's room for more, um, you know, di- uh, you know, disabilities and having that representation in games in a positive light. Because often when we do see disability, it's often framed in a way that's very negative, negative. and again, falling into stereotypes about like, you know, um, just things that are just not not good, like a little unsavory.
0: <laughs> sure. And um why do you think this has happened? Like why 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 is this happening based on what you've seen so far? What would be the drivers of of this type of misrepresentation or non existent representation basically in some cases?
3: Yeah, another fantastic question to piggyback off of. So you know again this shouldn't you know if you if you're familiar with the industry this is probably not going to be like earth-shattering like entirely novel information but video games is historically a male dominated industry and games being an offshoot of the computer software industry that is also incredibly male dominated um, There was a time like several decades ago where there were actually more women in computer science than there are now. And that's one thing that like a lot of nonprofits are trying Mm. to solve for and correct is this dropping off of women in computer science. Um, So games coming from a similar background historically has a similar gender gap and where we're just, um, and and not just gender, but also folks from other marginalized backgrounds, people of color, people with disabilities, Um, you know, trans individuals, so on and so forth. Um, There's just an over, you know, there's an overabundance of um, a status quo, which is often masculine. And it's a type of masculinity, which is often like white, male, cisgendered. And again, nothing wrong with people having those identities, right? But when it's dominating any type of organization or culture, you know, it can be challenging for new perspectives to come in to that type of environment, or if those folks from diverse backgrounds are brought into that environment, it can be intimidating to speak up, it can be intimidating to challenge that status quo. Um, and so that puts the burden on marginalized folks to you know, basically enact change to be those drivers of change. And a lot of people are. A lot of folks from marginalized backgrounds are those drivers of change. And that's like, you know, I celebrate that. But at the same time, it can be very challenging. It can be very emotionally draining. Um, oftentimes it's unrecognized labor as well, right? So I think, you know, in terms of making progress, there needs to be more recognition of that work being necessary and vital. And there needs to be more um you know you know more i guess like hiring practices that encourage um more diverse talent to be in the pipeline and and be introduced to the the culture you know the 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 industry in a way that's going to support them and empower them um to to do their best work and to really allow this industry to innovate Um, in my own research like i've interviewed game developers about character design. And what happens is there's, you know, if you're having a lot of folks with similar backgrounds, similar identities, there's just a lot of the same ideas, a lot of the same things that are just accepted as status quo and that go unchallenged.
1: Can I say one thing really quickly? So the patriarchy is pretty much insidious in any entertainment medium. It doesn't, it's not divorced from right. gaming, right? And you know, to a point that you, you kind of brought up, yeah, I mean, across all entertainment mediums, and again, I've worked in a lot of them at this point, it's really discouraging and kind of like a fact and a point that we should know that a lot of times diversity and equity has to come through the people who are fighting for it which is frustrating, right? Because not only are we commissioned to do this good work and to push it forward, but we're then commissioned to always so educate people. So that can be really tough when you're trying to do both jobs at the same time. Um, but there are some encouraging things because when we say games, we're not just talking about one kind of game. There are so many games. We were actually having this funny like, pre-conversation that you know, this, the portfolio of 2K games is split between sports games, and then we have core games, and then we have other games and mobile games. So you're kind of looking at different segmentation, you're looking at different capabilities of character building, too, within each of those games, which I think is important to to also note. Because one of the big evolutions that we've seen over probably the last maybe 10 years, maybe more, you you definitely know better than I do, um, from an academic standpoint, is that you're able to customize your characters more. So we have a game called Tiny Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Try saying that five times fast. that has an incredible capability for you to kind of just tailor your character, right? I think that's extremely important for the trans community, for people who are identifying under different, you know, different pronouns that they may have in the past. It really kind of opens up the ability for people to identify with characters and build those characters to have those identities in a way that's reflective of their personality. So although we still have a lot of work to do from a characterization standpoint of the character builds in those narratives, I do think that there's a little bit more recognition to the personal appearance and the personalization of those characters that's kind of like slowly crawling to a better place. And,
3: and I agree, and I've, I've worked on teams where it was diverse people advocating for the, like, the inclusion of pronouns, the inclusion of trans identities, and so like, you're 100% right on that. We don't stop.
0: And then Zina, um, so you're working obviously a lot for and with the gaming audiences, right? Like, how do you see these negative portrayals, um, or sometimes, as I said, like not even the portrayal of of a diverse character impacting the the way you communicate with them, the way that they react to what you're sharing?
1: So I probably have a different take because a lot of the games that we're you know, focus on on one end and our annual a lot of our annual games are actually sports games. So when you're seeing those characters, they're people who are athletes <laughs> that a lot of people know, love and can identify with. I would say where we focus that kind of energy and when I look at um, how we address those communities is really as we're community building and working with our influencer and creator sets. And as you had mentioned, our Next Maker program, which is our mm-hmm. kind of like, um, Developing creator community where we give them first looks at what's coming with the game. You know, we help to kind of chat with them about what can we improve on, what can we do better. Like they are part of our community and drive how we interact with the game. Um, It's really important to remember they're not just like people talking; they're actually gamers giving us information and intel about the game, good, bad, ugly, and weird. Right, So it's really important for us to make sure that we're reflecting that and creating an open space for all kinds of different people within that community, male, female, unidentifying, right? Like, you know, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, speaking in different languages, creating a global lens where we can have um, different tier Discord channels where we're actually looking at those segmentations globally. It is a complex ecosystem, but just remembering that the gamers are a reflection of those consumers, and they are not a monolith of just white men is extremely important, especially when we're talking about sports games. I mean, like, it's such an interesting sect of gaming because you're reflecting fans of sports. And if you know, you know, anybody knows anybody who likes sports, it's a really wide variety of people and you cannot just blanket statement anything to them. Um, so we put a lot of care and effort to not only like making sure it's a safe environment or provide a good platform for us to be able to speak to people through Discord, through Twitch, through our social channels, um, but when we see things kind of exploding or going awry, uh, being respectful and taking those things into account because it's really important to foster a positive community. Now, are you always going to get it? Probably not. <laughs> sure. Every time. But you do your best. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Got it. and. Um... So you were, uh, Susina, you were mentioning more the global lens. I wanted to go back from, not, not to go back, but to go a bit deeper from a global to a local perspective. So Angie, you've had so much experience in the Colombia world, business world. Um, how do you see this type of uh, portrayals or representation in general? Flowing from the Colombia from the global lens into the Colombian lens, do you see it differently? What's What's your point of view?
2: Yes, let me tell you what I see. Coming from a Latin American country, <laughs> which is less mature in in, in in terms of of gaming, obviously we see the positive impact of gaming, but also we see how people sometimes feel that they don't belong to these kind of situations. And and let me put an example for this. Uh, some of this community could be pretty toxic against more women and minorities. Mm-hmm. So we sometimes just talking with our consumers, we see that that girls start like a listening or reading the same uh, toxic words that we say when, when they are saying to them, uh, you don't belong here, you just play like a girl. Go to the kitchen, make a sandwich. It's the same things that we have been hearing for different sports. And then we realize that we are talking about a 14 years old girl who just wanted to go to a place to have fun, to play, to have a gaming uh, space and then we wonder why they use male avatars or they use different nicknames so they can uh, look like they are not there so having this kind of reflections uh, the team that I'm honored to lead uh, they came out with an initiative that we love that is called she gaming because we create the first female uh, e-sports, uh, e-sports league in Colombia. Actually, this team is winning now a lot of leagues uh, and they are playing in different parts. Uh, but we found out that girls don't feel part of this, uh, of this industry or at least they are saying that, that they don't feel that the gamer world is something that represents them. So they they are ashamed to say that they are gamers, because they feel that they don't belong there.
0: And I think Jess, you had an interesting fact around this around this, which was always whenever when I heard of it, I found it so interesting that women don't actually describe themselves as gamers as gamers at least most.
3: Yeah, it, it's true. There's a lot of research, both academically and research that I've seen in the industry itself, where. If you ask women, if you ask men, do you identify as a gamer? Men are far, far more likely to say yes. Women are far, far more likely to say no. Even if they play games, even if they play on their mobile phones, like every day, if they play the Nintendo Switch, uh, they will say that they're not a gamer or even say that they don't play games, which is wild because mobile games, like if you're playing something on your phone, that is still a video game. but I think there's this, you know, there's this baked in notion of gamer as being something like hardcore, and it's been kind of gate gate kept from other identities that like aren't hardcore or like, and and hardcore is kind of like wrapped up into this notion of like very masculine themes, like competitive, um, competitiveness, um, hard like dedication, commitment, you know, really like just leaning into something with every fiber of your being and that's kind of like baked into this identity of who a gamer is or like who we you know these associations are just embroiled with with masculinity so you know when we think of like the archetypical gamer in our minds right it's like that kind of stigmatized idea of someone in their basement like right the lone gamer just isolating themselves from the world like playing games all day doing nothing else and so Gamer is like both stigmatized in in society and culture, but then also like celebrated within certain groups, right? Like within the hardcore gamer community, like, peop, like there are certain groups who are like very proudly will say like, I'm a gamer. And like, I, there's been points in my life where I've said like, yeah, I'm a gamer. Like I play video games, I love them. I'm passionate about them. Yeah, like heck yeah, I'm a gamer and no one can say I'm not, but You know, there is also like some compelling reasons to say like, well, am I? Like, do I want to be associated with the term gamer? Because sometimes how it's, I guess, celebrated is in a way that is, quite frankly, gatekeeping and prohibiting other forms of play from being embraced or recognized, right? Like mobile gaming. Oh, that's not gaming. Or, oh, you play Animal Crossing? That's not gaming. Go play a real game. Like it's it's bullshit, quite frankly. That that we are gatekeeping something that's just so like people are gatekeeping something that's just so fun, and at the end of the day, it brings people together. Even the competitive games, there's a lot of research that shows the primary motivation. Like, yeah, it's winning and dominating other players, but a lot of that is motivated by so like is socially driven. It's to connect with other people and play with other people and compete against other human beings. Um, so sorry, I, a long-winded way of saying that, uh, I don't know, I, I have mixed feelings about the term gamer and I, rec- I understand why a lot of women or other folks from marginalized gender identities have mixed feelings about gamer because it's such a loaded term. And it's just, you know, I think uh, weaponized against some groups, unf- like, I don't know, weaponized in, like against diversity, I don't know, it's just... Um, I, don't, I say players. I've actually shifted away from using the term oh, that's gamer. A good I, describe, word. Yeah. I describe people who play games as players. I, I actually actively avoid saying gamer.
0: Also, I love the passion. You can really see you're very passionate about the subject, and I love that. And Zina, you were mentioning just before. Um, the progress, uh, the fact that there are, you know, there are other games, especially well in 2K and probably in other companies as well, where it started to become much more, you know, representation is so much more important. How do you think that switch happened? Like, what was, what, what do you think were the drivers of, of was it allyship? Was it, as you said, like, you know, part of it was diverse people just pushing for it, but at one point you have to bring everybody together, I guess, to get somewhere. How do you um, think that?
1: There is no one way, right? It's yeah. a systemic domino effect when you think about it. Like, if your staff and your producers become more diverse, um, you know, representation is part of culture now. And whether or not it's something that you commit to or not, it is something that's within almost all of our pur- purview every single day. Um, I think the evolution is natural because those are the customers, those are the players, not gamers. Uh, I agree with you on that one. Gamers is a weird one. Um, that happens because we want to build characters that are reflective of the people. And as people become more diverse, cultural, culture in society kind of takes a different vernacular. Um, you know, semantics play a big part into this. Like, you know, five years ago, pronouns were not at the forefront of cultural communication, especially in the U.S., right? So, like, it's really interesting to see how as culture shifts, the consumer shifts, and we have to take a cue from that too. Uh, again, I've worked in a few different entertainment mediums. Gaming is no different. In fact, I think that gaming, gaming is one of the only entertainment mediums where you can make immediate changes in results. and results. The, and the fans and the consumers and the players actually ask for that and want that. And it's our responsibility as publishers, as gaming companies, um, to actually listen to that feedback. And that's one of the craziest parts about gaming for me. You know, if you make a crappy movie, oh well, next time crappy album oh well next time next tour what I so it's it's such a unique entertainment medium where feedback is extremely important and um, breaking down a little bit of like that toxicity again is a responsibility of these publishers these gaming companies and the fans too right like take a responsibility for not building a toxic environment because they people do come to these environments to actually socialize to connect with other humans whether it be remote together, uh, that is the nucleus of most of the of like most of these relationships, right? Gaming together, playing together, um, just finding a way to connect through those things. So it's inevitable. As people change, that the industry is going to have to change. They have the buying power. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and leading to that. Um there are obviously so many brands outside of gaming that are investing so much money in advertising and, and so on in the gaming industry. So that's why I wanted to ask you, Angie, because we're working, obviously, we're working outside of the gaming um, industry. In our you know, business, we've done several campaigns that we're really trying to drive DNI and and push forward this agenda in the, in the gaming space. How do you see um, companies out, so our companies becoming additive and advocates for, um, for this cause. I think we have a
2: huge opportunity to make the difference in this world because we care about not only the players but also the fans and the people who really like to, to enter, to be entertained. So we always have like two ways to do the things. The first one is pay the sponsorship Put your logo and go there, and then your people is going to see your uh, are going to see your your brand. And then there is another alternative which takes more time, is most difficult, but is also more uh, passionate for me at least. Uh, and is yes, listen to you, to your consumer, listen to these audiences, feel the pains that they're having, and trying to build to be more relevant in their world so they can see the real purpose of your brand. So for example, for Pony Malta, our purpose is to help teenagers to be the the best version of themselves. So that's why we are caring about why they feel that that around this, this entertainment world. And for example, and it wasn't for you, so don't. Don't take it personal, <laughs> but we signed uh, with our consumers a petition for one of the sports gaming to really start like having character for women because they were playing football or soccer and they were uh, representing it in the in the in the game. So we can use all of our power as a, as a brand uh, to use it to really do better for the world. We can use our sponsorships to help the community to be a better community, to be more engaged, to have a more, have uh, a fun, uh, like a uh, space. And I think we can do, and we can help a lot.
0: And, and Zina, I know you're fighting the good fight uh, in, in 2K. Uh, is there... Um... Have you seen, like, have you seen, have you learned in terms of, like, process changed or uh, process changes besides hiring, and you were mentioning a couple of, of key things you guys have done, anything else that you think from a publishing company perspective that it would help um, drive further the uh, representation from a process perspective? Is there anything else? that you think might be? Uh,
1: Processes is a weird one because it all comes down to your individual contributions, right? Like, I really try to A, hire very diverse sets of people. Again, it's not just racial diversity. Um, I think one point that you brought up before was ableism, right? Like, that's something we tend to kind of like trickle down to the conversation of DEI, but it is also really important. Um, People with different neurodivergencies, right? Like, there's so many different things that I think that people need to consider these days because we are all unique. Um, and in hiring kind of more of, a, um, more of a diverse, like, cast of characters within our, uh, our organization, that just helps us to have more impassioned people who understand certain communities and help us make these kind of changes. When we talk about processes, it's, you know, any company can benefit from this. Like, don't do shit messed up take consideration into like the trickle-down effect and what it actually takes to make big changes. Um, But also empowering your teams and empowering your companies to have an open voice and have a forum to do that. And as managers, especially when you're on an executive committee or you're part of leadership, it is beyond important that you take that shit seriously. Because you are the one that makes a change. And this is why, like again, across any company, where DEI wins is when you have people who care, who are diverse at the top, who can make those changes and invest in your boardrooms and invest in your actual marketing campaigns. And being able to connect that with culture, because culture is what really drives those consumers, will make inherently a change. But if your employees don't feel that they can say these things openly and have a forum to say these things openly, then you're wasting your, t- your money and time, right? Like, these are the people who are steering these decisions, and giving them the freedom, the ability to really like surface that and bubble it to the top is extremely important. So I think like uh, there isn't a whole process I can identify, but open communication and allowing people to have an opinion and taking that opinion seriously, and pitting it against obviously what our consumers are saying, what our players are saying is the best way for us to have the most founded, um, founded information in order to make those future changes and evolutions.
0: And I know in 2K, you say, come as you are, I think. You have a model. Oh, yeah, come as you are. So that's, that's pretty representative of what
1: Oh, absolutely. Saying, I mean, everybody I comes as they are, for sure. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I see DK that's... out there, whatever, uh, <laughs> coming as he is. Uh, I think it's really important for you to come as you are, right? I could never work a desk job at, like, Kellogg's or somewhere. <laughs> uh, just in case I, uh, from Kellogg's in <laughs> the room, so. Oh, sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry, 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 no. Somewhere random, sorry, maybe bad reference, um, but just like somewhere that didn't really allow me to kind of have an open voice, um, and this is a, from my mouth to the, to the camera, oh, yeah. to you guys, um, I just think it's really important when you're working in an artistic environment, because games are art, right, to be able to have that freedom to really say what you want. I mean, obviously, within respectful bounds, but that's extremely important. And companies make big mistakes constantly, but not listening to their employees, and, we, and if we know one thing, it's that we are in a battle as a workforce for the best talent out there. We're at a time where Gen Z doesn't need to have a job anymore because they can build from the creator economy. So to bring in that great talent that actually is connected to the marketplaces and the consumers that we need, we need to be able to also give them the platform to be able to like be heard, seen, and actually develop their own voice within the industry. So I think that's really important to come as you are because, hey, that's what you bring to the table, right? <laughs>
0: Um, And I think everything you said before around uh, making sure we have people at the top um, who drive this, who believe in this. I think this is, as you said, like this is relevant beyond the gaming. It's it's even more important in the gaming industry because you're actually, you know, you need to make sure you represent like your product is basically needs to represent the the player. But it's so important in other companies as well just to um, that that don't do gaming of really driving this um, this agenda and um, um, Angie on what you're mentioning with partnership with different uh, games what, what were the, some of the lessons that you learned because there are so different industries right like yes. we come from an on alk beverage industry category then you have the the gaming uh, industry so it's it's', it's rather different cultures and different ways of interacting. Any, any lessons that you learned from this journey? I think
2: the most important lesson is that we all are more open to collaborate of what we think we are because every time we, we like, uh, address some publisher or we address one uh, creator or every time we talk with the players they are always open to collaborate and to make the, a, a community that really like, uh, enjoy what they do. So for me, that is, a, is something that we never thought before, because we were always wanted to talk to our audiences and expected to they listen to us. Right now, with this kind of, uh, of uh, gaming, Uh, industry, we can interact with our consumers, we can collaborate, we can do really big things between us, but we just need to pull in the table what we want to do and the world that we want to create. So for me, collaboration and be open and and someone said to me these days that uh, you always have earned the no, so we can... Start like a putting more things to to work, more initiatives to really address what we need to address, to to pour, put our voices and our hearts in what we want to do. And this gaming industry is 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 shaping the future of our generations, and the way we do it, it's going to be the future for them. So, the way they start to relate to each other will be the way they're going to relate to each other in the future as adults, as an adult. So, that is our main opportunity to collaborate between each other. And now, I'm feeling that I'm part of the industry, not only an outsider, mm-hmm. but because if we care about people, we, need, we can do better if we collaborate between each other.
0: And then a, a question to, to all of you, and I'll start with, with you, Angie. Um, how, do you, so how do you believe we, we can make change? Like looking into the future, is it going to be easy? Like how do you see change um, happening um, in the future in this uh, DNI and video characters? It's
2: never easy. Let's start for that. Uh, but the first thing that we need to do is to raise awareness about the issues that we know that they're in the industry. So if we're talking about equality, diversity, and inclusion, what we need to, to raise the awareness of that. Then I think we need to fight the stereotypes that we are all saying here. Just the word gaming is one stereotype that we need to, to fight for. And then we need more role role models, because we, do, we need it not only in the characters or in the creators or in the publishers, we need it in the leading part. We need new role models to really like improve the industry. And I will say that definitely gaming is a vehicle to connect with the younger generations, so we need to use this, to use it in a wiser way way. We need to really take care of the younger generations, and we need to take care of the way we are using gaming, because it's going to affect the future
1: of our world. Okay, we're going down the line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Prioritizing listening to the community, and the feedback from the community, like in the practicality of actually making that change is paramount, right? Including community representatives, like for example, what we're doing in our next makers program, you know, we're getting people ahead of like getting games out to the marketplace and getting that kind of feedback and finding out if something is sus to that community, right, because they're gonna be the ones to call it out, but that's why they're most important ally, I think is extremely important. And just, you know, really taking those learnings and putting product in front of other people to hear it up front, I think is extremely important, and that's the way we're going to make incremental change. It's not going to happen overnight. It hasn't happened overnight in any <laughs> in any uh, you know field. So just making those changes and really listening to them is important. Another thing I've, I find to be really important, again, in execution, is really like leveraging a diverse set of creators and influencers. As we know, it's becoming more of a paid media channel, no matter what. These people are more influential than an ad that you put out there. They are true advocates, they are the community builders. Um, if you're just going for one subset or the, the top of the fat, like the top, you know, your are Mr. Beasts of the world, then you're missing an entire set of the community that doesn't relate with that person. So I think it's really important for companies to look at that as a really big primary vehicle to reach those different audience subsets and then they will inherently become part of that community conversation and give you feedback as to how you can change those things. Um, I also think just recognizing the importance of representation, I think I had mentioned to you guys before uh, when I posted on my Instagram about this particular panel, I have an actress friend that I know who was like, oh my god, I was kitsune in uh, Call of Duty and she's a working actress that's been an actress for a few years. And she's Japanese, Japanese American. And it's really interesting to see like just that facet of representation and what she's brought young, like a young Asian girl that might exp- aspire to be that, or even, you know, another person who's like, oh my God, it's just not like, he's a hypersexualized white woman. Um, as a character here, it's just incredible to see like the person who that was modeled after, and then the, the character that helps build a narrative that really changes the way the culture is seen. Um, it is our responsibility to pressure test those things and to be vocal when those things don't, um, don't hit because our voices determine the financial impact on these big companies. Um, You know, whether you're part of them or not, it's important for you to do that.
3: That's true. Yeah, excuse me, great points all around. Um, There's a couple things I wanna touch on and and piggyback off of. I know we've spoken about hiring already, but I think hiring is one piece of the puzzle. Retention is the other component um, that I've personally seen Working in the games industry is that there is high turnover, and I'm sure that's not unique to games necessarily, right? It's a compa- like, if you are really good at your job, there's always gonna be recruiters hitting you up, trying to poach you and, and give you new opportunities, right? You can't always keep talent, but I think, especially like entry level and um, mid level talent, you know, I think there's more that can be done to retain people in certain instances. Um, Especially, you know, when we know that there's knowledge of the gender pay gap across the board, Um, you know, it's not a good feeling if you are a marginalized individual working somewhere and you learn that your male colleague is maybe making like 10K more than you are, even though you've got the same job title, title, the same level of experience, like that's never a good feeling. So I think the industry has a lot, you know, there's still room to improve Things there in terms of like the retention side, you know, ensuring that people are, are paid fairly and compensated fairly for the skills that they're bringing to the table. Because if they're not, they're they're going to leave, and you're not, you know, you're losing that source of diversity, you know, that that unique contribution on a team. And oh boy, the games industry is, you know, we are constantly losing institutional knowledge because people are just constantly hopping around mm-hmm. and. Um, Institutional knowledge is just so valuable in an organization, and when that's lost, it's like starting from scratch in some instances. So hopefully more can be done there. I don't know if anyone in this room can do that necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. I know you all have already spoken to player feedback. You don't certainly don't have to convince a UX researcher that we should be <laughs> getting more player <laughs> feedback, because that's basically my job—is like talking to players, interviewing players, and then relaying it to important people making decisions. But yes, like we should be um, not just talking to players, but then also being very mindful of like, well, whose voices are we listening to? Are we getting the feedback from Reddit? And if so, like maybe we should be interpreting that source of feedback you know with with not necessarily like a grain of salt but like a degree of caveating the data accordingly accordingly like well who is who's part of this reddit community chances are if it's like a a community that leans i don't know if it's like i don't know uh, an apex legends or overwatch reddit forum it probably leans like more of a masculine voice more male players Right, because I think the av- i think there are more men on Reddit I, anyway, so that's like that's going to be a biased sample, right? So I think being aware, like it's very rare to find a sample that is completely free of bias. Like let's just put that out there and acknowledge that, um, you know. But just being aware of where the data is coming from and recognizing, like, well, you know, maybe this is from a certain demographic, and and if so, like then what they're saying is valid, but valid for that demographic. It's not necessarily representative of the entire user experience or the player population. So I think, yes, listen to players, but then also consider who is, whose voice are we listening to? Who are we hearing from? And I think, Zena, to your point about influencers, you know, bringing in um, people with that, with that um, you know, from a diverse background who have that status in a community and can essentially be the voice for a number of underrepresented folks within a community can certainly be a really valuable thing and a, a great way to hear from different perspectives and, and not just listening to the echo chamber that is Reddit, right? So um, yeah, be mindful of where our data comes from. Um, how am I doing on time? Can I go on for a few more <laughs> minutes, a couple more minutes? Um, And then I I had a couple other like ideas as you all were talking, but I think one thing that the industry can also be mindful about is, um, and I think we've kind of touched on this, but like, I think a lot of what we're talking about today is like, if you could sum it up, it's the tired but true expression. You can't be what you can't see. And I think that's extremely valid for games, right? Where if we do have certain demographics overrepresented and players are being exposed to those portrayals or being per- exposed to that, you know, who, like who's the hero, what does the hero look like? Well, he's like a 30 or 40 something year old white dude with a, with a five o'clock shadow and he's brunette, right? Like if that's who the archetypical hero looks like, you know, that sends a signal, that sends a message um, to players about whose stories are valid, who's, you know, who's the hero, right? And you know, by putting more different types of people in that role, then other people can potentially see themselves as an audience for that product we're putting out there, right? Um, so I think being mindful of you can't be what you can't see. Because in order to get more diverse folks in the industry, let's face it, a lot of people who make games are love games, right? Like they play them in their free time, they're passionate about them. You know, a lot of people want to work in game development because they played a game and they fell in love with it and they want to bring the the joy that they experienced playing it, they wanna bring that to other people through their own work. So, you know, in order to get that fresh talent, that diverse talent, I think it's really important that there is more content that resonates with different types of players and can widen the talent pool and just bring in more people. Because game development is a really fulfilling and rewarding career path. And it's not just programming. It's not just game design. You can be a researcher. You can work in marketing. You can work in brand. There's a lot of different roles out there. So I think also getting that out there is super important because there's a lot of different ways that people can influence and be a part of game development without being like a computer programmer, per se. So I think that's also like a, um, a bit of a misunderstanding that we can all like, actively work to, you know, especially those of us working in games industry, right? It's like, hey, like, there's a role for you here, even if like, you think maybe there isn't because you're not a computer scientist, believe me, there's a, there's a role for you in, in game development.
0: Awesome. Um, yeah, I think we're almost done with the plan- panel. Um, but um, I, I had a couple of points to summarize, but I think some of the things that Jess you mentioned and, and Zena and Angie, I think are very interesting for us to like remember. I think you can't be what you can't see. I think that's a very, you know, very um, good, uh, reminder for all of us. I think in all our jobs, to be honest, even if you do gaming or, or other other job, I think what you are mentioning, Zina about hiring diverse talent, and that's probably the the key to making you and, and to drive change. Um, and Angie, what you are mentioning about us being wise, uh, because this is a big responsibility for the younger generation um, and the the players that are sometimes more on the younger side to make sure that they. Uh, build their identities in the in the right way Um, and ultimately I guess collaboration between what we have here at the table and I'm sure there are so many other uh, parts and businesses that collaborate uh, within the gaming industry at least for all of us to collaborate together and and try and and foster and try to push some change um, in this space. Um, so thank you so much uh, for joining. This is just the start of the conversation. I assume if you're in the room, you are passionate about the subject, so hopefully you can take some of these things and bring them back to um, the companies and agencies and so on that you're, you're working on with. Um, so thank you so much for the panelists and thanks so much for joining. Thank <laughs>